Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. My name is Michael. Each week on this podcast, we're going to dive into the science behind the built environment, whether it's in the architectural world, the construction world, we're really digging into the issues that directly affect your health, your safety, and the durability and sustainability of the buildings and homes that you occupy each day of your life. In this week's episode, we're going to explore something that most of you are probably very familiar with, but don't really know a lot about, and that is glazing, or what you might think of as glass. The big windows that are on all of our houses that we love so much because they really do connect us with the outside world. Christoph had the opportunity to interview Matthew Tenteri this week, who's a lighting consultant, and I'm really excited for you guys to get to tune into their conversation. Take it away, Christoph. Okay, so hello. Welcome to our Building Science Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about glazing and comfort, and I think that we all know, but we're going to be talking about the whys of this one. I think we all know that getting the glazing right is definitely central to the look and definitely central to the feel of a building. It could be said that no other single component can be so impactful to making a difference between the design that works and one that does not. And today we're gonna be talking about what it means for a design to work. And uh, Matthew and I are kindred spirits and have discovered that we both recognize that we believe that buildings exist to deliver comfort. More broadly, the performance factors that are attributed to buildings are, of course, comfort, health, good indoor air quality. We want buildings to be durable, want them to last a long time, of course, and we want them to be energy efficient. In that hierarchy, uh, a good building scientist, in my opinion, focuses on the health and comfort of the occupants. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about glazing from a health and comfort standpoint. And it appears, you know, making decisions on glazing design appears deceptively simple, but it's actually a rich and nuanced blend of engineering and and basic physics. Um, It's a bit of an art. So what we hope to do here is to help you understand all the human factors that glazing can impact. And uh, they would obviously be the thermal experience of a space because If you think about an enclosure as being an environmental separator, keeping the outside out and the inside in, well, the glazing system is a short circuit as far as thermal energy. It lets it right in. So we need to be very judicious on how we work with it and how we work with the whole fenestration assembly from exterior shading through the window assembly and interior shading. So today we have with us on our show, we have the amazing Matthew Tanteri. He's a architectural lighting designer and a daylighting consultant and an educator. And I'm lucky enough to call him a friend. He's also a fellow at the Illumination Engineering Society. Matthew, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Thanks, Christoph. Okay, you great. are my friend. <laughs> Good. Glad to get that clear. So we are going to be talking today, Matthew, as you know, about human factors as they relate to glazing. And I have talked a lot in the past about thermal comfort and how glazing impacts that quite directly. And I wanted to get you on the show to talk about visual comfort 
and how glazing how glazing impacts that. So the reason we're focusing on windows is because of this human factor, right? We're talking about human factored design from the windows perspective. Um, so Matthew, with comfort as a core goal, from the angle of visual comfort, um, what can you say about how visual comfort is impacted by uh, windows? Okay. So the reason why we're talking about windows is because of all the building elements, windows have a first order effect on the quality of an interior space, the visual quality of an interior space. Mm-hmm. And we look, when we look at all the inputs into fenestration design, the highest level of input, the first one, is window-wall ratio, the amount of glazing area to interior room surface area. And that effect has been well studied, and the uh, combination of the amount of light available and the size of the window and the visible transmittance of the window determines how much light it gets into the interior space. Mm-hmm. So really, the, the first uh, step in fenestration design to deliver visual comfort is setting the proper window-wall ratio. And I'll talk a little bit more about that because because it is so important without mm-hmm. going off into some other secondary systems. Okay. So that uh, windows, as you said, have often been characterized as the thermal wounds of a building, <laughs> that they bleed energy. And the same is true for the visual side. If you let in too much light into a room, everything goes out of scale. You cannot compete with the levels of daylight in the exterior environment. Our vision is highly adaptive. So uh, when we're outside, we see in light levels that are a hundred times to a thousand times higher than what we see in an interior. Interesting. So once we let those uh, quantities in an interior, everything goes out of scale. What are those quantities? What's the unit? Well, in an interior environment, you can have, uh, I'd say office lighting is now about 300 lux or 30 foot candles. And to get a feel for what that is, if you light a candle and put your hand one foot away from it, that's one foot candle. Okay. Whereas outside on an overcast day, it could be anywhere from 500 foot candles to a thousand foot candles. And then on a cloudy day, a partly cloudy day, somewhere from 1500 to 3000 foot candles. And then on a clear sky day, up to 11,000 foot candles. Oh my goodness. So the amount of light we need in an interior to see perfectly fine and actually even feel like we're outside if we're in the interior long enough and we don't have any place to compare uh, luminance, the sense of brightness to, uh, to an outside source, uh, we can feel that 30 to 50 foot candles is just as bright as a thousand, 2000 foot candles outside because um, our visual system adapts. 
and we don't know. So that, so um, just getting back to glazing, mm-hmm. the specification of glazing, when you look at what you actually have to specify to get glazing, when, when you actually look at what you're in control of when you specify glazing, I can list 30 properties. When I specify glazing, I'm looking at 30 properties, maybe more, when I write a glazing specification. And you don't just mean the area of the window. No, I mean... I mean, there's there's very uh, high level ones, which are let's say visible transmittance, being the first one, and that is uh, the the visible wavelengths that the glazing substrate transmits. You know, uh, that is um, one number, and it's centered around photopic vision, which is around the um, green bluish green, mm-hmm. and uh, then after that. So other other high level parameters are UV transmittance. So that gives you some information on uh, how the glazing might pass wavelengths that could fade materials or uh, cause health health um, interactions. Then there's a reflectance of the glazing, both inside and outside. So that's how uh, that would impact how the glazing appears on the skin of the building and. Hmm. How it appears from the the color of it? No, there's reflectance. There's a reflectance value for each side of the glazing. So if you have, say, if you're you have electric lighting on in the interior of the building and you're looking out the window, Uh, you could see those reflected in the glazing if it has high reflectance on the inside surface. Similarly, outside, if you're looking at the glazing and you're looking at the building you could see the sky reflected in it or not. You know, it depends on the, the um, percentage of reflectance. And then there's substrate color. So that's the influences the, uh, what actual wavelengths come through the glazing because it's telling you what light gets absorbed. It may be, if it's a gray glass, it could be a cool gray or a warm gray. gray. If it's a tinted glass, it could be bronze, green, blue. So uh, if it's a, if it's, just regular glass, it could have iron in it, which makes it blue-green, or it could be low iron, which is more of a less blue-green. So hmm. these are all visual parameters, and then there's all strength parameters of uh, how it's processed. There's laminations. There's surface treatments that could further influence um, visual parameters, such as acid etching, sandblasting, frit patterns that light up if sun is on them. There's things that can go in the inside the glazing. So really, the glazing seems like a very simple mm-hmm. element. Just pick some glass. But it's highly, uh, it's a high performance part of the building. So you're not just creating an opening and filling it with something that is a single material. It's it's a multi-property material with very... Um, different types of performance based on how you combine elements, how you specify it. So to give you some, so just as in, you know, what's good is that we can relate this back to thermal comfort. Just the, it's similar to the way that air temperature and humidity combine to indicate comfort in terms of relative humidity. Mm -hmm. Um, Glazing visible transmittance and exterior luminance combine to give you uh, what you see from the interior, the amount of luminance that the window has from the interior. It's a product of 
the transmittance of the glazing and the amount of luminance, brightness of the sky or exterior surface behind it. Those two combine to give you the, um, the sense of how bright it is. And then it, it becomes, it's similar to thermal uh, comfort, the multi-parameters of thermal comfort in that now you've got a window with a certain luminance, which I can measure with a tool. What's next to it? Like what is the brightness of the wall in between the window? Because you have to look at the two next to each other to understand the range. And if the range is somewhere within four to one, five to one, it could be comfortable. When it starts to go beyond 10 to one, it starts to become uncomfortable. And then if you get into ranges like 40 to one, you can start to get a headache. Wow. You know, so it's very, it's very um, measurable, but it, it has to be measurable from the view of the occupant, you know, the, the like say the occupant at the desk. Mm -hmm. Since we're focused on residential, uh, maybe it's the occupant at the dinner table or at their desk. Mm -hmm. Or the kitchen sink. Or, or the kitchen sink, right. Performing a task, maybe in their bathroom with a skylight or a window that's nearby. So, um, but light is light. And it's just uh, the same would be true if it was electric lighting. Like think of like if you, if you set up a fluorescent trough or with white translucent diffuser and you looked right into it, you know, what's that experience? Well, the brightness of that type of fixture is similar to the brightness of looking out a window at uh, even an overcast sky. Mm -hmm. you know, so we have to, um, even though our brain tells us, oh, this is a natural experience and we should adapt to this natural experience. Once we start to hit these uh, thresholds of uh, luminance, our body reacts with, um, okay, squint, if I can't squint, and I'm, and, I'm trying, and I'm trying to read something, I will keep going until I get a headache or until my, um, I am so uh, frustrated, I have to leave, you know, I, I can't survive. So uh, <laughs> when we, so with glazing, I get, we're going to return to, in, in our uh, presentation, which we're going to be doing in, Less than a month, I believe. Yeah. July. I'll talk about some of the glare metrics. It's still a very, uh, there's ways to come up with glare metrics that say whether something is acceptable or unacceptable, or there's perceptible glare or imperceptible glare. It's still not quite a hard science, similar to the way thermal comfort is right. expressed mm -hmm. as double negatives. It's, all, it's implicitly subjective. There's no yes. way around it. Okay, so that, that covers like why we're talking about glazing, why we focused on glazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked your double negative comment there. So when we, instead of saying your occupant is going to be happy, the engineering approach would be to say they're not going to be unhappy. Correct. Yeah, I like that. So the second part to your question, you know, when we say we're kindred spirits is we've both recognize that comfort is we both believe it's at the core of good building design and, oh, boom. And, agreed and when we say but i also want to say 
when I always hear the phrase good design, and that doesn't mean anything to me anymore because what's good design? What we're really saying is it's at the core of best practice building design. Mm-hmm. We're trying, we're, we're doing our best here, practicing our best. And we're trying to elevate the practice of building buildings. And the thing about comfort is when, um, well, just to back up, you can build a building with, with many factors present. And you can prioritize any one factor. For example, you can build a beautiful building. So mm-hmm. you're going to prioritize aesthetics. You still may have on the table reduced energy use, budget, occupant comfort, and health. But aesthetics is going to be the big, the big uh, factor. And right. other things will bend to it. Now, you could say, okay, I'm not going to prioritize any factor. They're all going to be on the table. And uh, that's akin to spinning the dial, you know, spinning the dial, see where it lands. And it may not land on anything. It may land in the middle, too. And then you're, uh, so you you sort of take what you get. And you may not even know where it lands because you have to figure it out later. It's because you haven't targeted anything. So you're not necessarily going to get anything. You might, though. You might get lucky. You might be unlucky. But the, the reason why we believe comfort is at the core of best practice design is because there's really two things going on. You're designing for the performance of the building, but more importantly, you're designing for the experience of the occupant in the building. Those are the two things that have to happen together to have success. You can have a beautiful building that uses low energy. If the occupant doesn't want to be in the building, the building is empty. Or the room is empty. <laughs> it's using energy for no good yeah. reason. Or you can have a building that feels great, but it's not a cool building, right? It's not like, oh, this is a great building to hang out in. But you know what? I'm pretty comfortable in there. Now, people may stay in there if they acknowledge how great comfort is, but we all want to be in cool places, don't we? I mean, we want to oh, be yeah. in uh, Especially is, here in Austin. Is it 2030 yet or is it still? No, it's still 2015. 15. But it feels like it's 2030 already. So I want to be where it's happening. And so I want to be in the coolest looking building and I want to be comfortable. So occupant comfort is really where those two things, the building, the performance of the building, which, you know, I'm, I'm saying energetic performance, low energy use. Mm-hmm. Durability would be. Uh, durability. And the experience of the building from the occupant's side, it's where those two overlap. Right. Right. So now, so now that's why if you start off with occupant comfort as a core of your design, um, now we can decouple comfort into the two components. There's visual comfort and thermal comfort. And that's where we can start to look at um, how the multiple variables in each of those uh, states, states of mind or states of being, how, how they interplay. Not necessarily that they interplay with one another, but that just acknowledging that the overall state is dependent on multiple variables. Right. And, uh, they are part of the design parameters you have. Mm-hmm. Okay? You have, when you come to a design problem, there's really two types of parameters. You have context parameters and you have design parameters. Right. Context parameters are present, right? They're the climate. Uh, 
orientation? Say it's destroying content. Well, you know, it depends on how you came into the project. If the building exists, that's a context parameter. Oh, I see. If the um, if the budget can't be changed, that's context parameter. If um, the things that are set that can't be changed, they're taken out of design because you can't do anything with them. But and things may shift from design into context and from context into design. But overall, you know, design is is taking the parameters that can change and using design to get the best out, outcome. To hit hit the design intent. So um, right. our use, our ability to take comfort, bring it into the early stage of design, get good at manipulating design parameters and prioritizing comfort, but also bringing up other important parameters such as aesthetics, low energy use, that brings us closer to success. Right? We know that the greatest chance for success is when an occupant is happy, their experience is positive, and the building is performing well. That means that that, that gives the building the greatest chance to survive because you know that a happy occupant becomes the steward of good design. Right. They're going to take care of their building because they love it. Yeah. So, so that's why we're... That's how we put together these concepts of glazing being the first, you know, knowing that glazing is one of the first order effect parts of the building, that comfort is at the base of, is is at the core of good design, and that decoupling comfort into visual and thermal aspects, those are at the top, those are the top effects to first deal with, to... To, to deal with actively early because you can't really get to them later in the design. You're pretty much putting band-aids on things after if you don't address mm-hmm. them early. Mm-hmm. So what about the, you know, you we're talking about visual comfort here. Is that a direct translation? Often you hear the term lighting quality or light, the quality of a light in a space. Um, is that another way to say visual comfort? Well, daylight is a dynamic source. It changes in color over the course of the day based on the um, coordinates of the sun. It's Mm -hmm. height in the sky, how much air it passes through, uh, and how much uh, blue light is scattered and how much warm light is passed through. That changes the color temperature of the sunlight. The the ground reflectance influences the color of light. That's sort of local light. Like when you think of the great painters, um, Rembrandt or Vermeer, and they used local light. It was the light that... Right, they say Venice has amazing light or something. Mm -hmm. And people, artists like to paint near the sea because of the light reflected off the ocean. And, you know, it's just local light has an atmospheric quality. So there's color, there's direction. uh, Light reflected off water is... uh, scintillates it had there's a play of light that can come into an interior there's intensity you know clouds moving the dynamics of that so quality of light is really just the dynamic elements of daylight you have them you have some of them in electrical lighting and you can duplicate them but daylight is our reference of what is mm-hmm. dynamic light so quality of light i'd say is 
it's the dynamics of light, but it's also, um, it's the experience of light, which is controlled through quantity of light, you know, mm -hmm. the, no glare, right? When you say, quality lighting, you walk into a space, you look and you, there isn't any light shining in your eyes. There isn't any brightnesses that, that are creating this high contrast range. You say, oh, I can see really well in here. There is really good quality of light. And now that's because uh, that visual environment has uh, allowed you to see. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no factors in there that are interrupting your um, ability to perceive, to see. And if you're a younger person, you may require uh, half the amount of light of a person, let's say if you're 25, you, I, I can give you more exact ratios, but just in general, say you're 25 years old and uh, you need one amount of light. Well, a person 50 may need the same, double that amount of light to see the same exact thing. And a person 75 may need three times the amount of light. And yet those, you know, your environment would have to change to do, to give that same experience of visual quality to those three age groups. So how, you know, how do you create an environment of one size fits all? It's, it's how a, do you do that? Well, you design for the occupant, the, you know, if you, if you're in a, uh, I guess in a care center, yeah, you, right. You, you can have um, task ambient solutions where you provide ambient light, which could fulfill the task needs of someone younger and that, they have access to turn on a task light if they need it for a longer period. And you provide task light for the um, older occupant who may be using it longer. You have ability to, um, uh, you know, since we're trying to conserve energy, we don't want to give too much area of task lighting because it uses more energy. But you, in your programming, you program the space that there is task lighting available for those occupants that need to seek it. Right. So th there's many strategies to go about it. Uh, but like any other, we have a dynamic source and we have a range of population. So it's always fitting a range to some uh, narrower set of needs. I like it. So we've talked about glare, task lighting, uh, light levels and dynamic range. Those are all human factors. What about, I mean, I don't, don't go too far down the rabbit hole on this one, but you talked a little to me previously about, I guess, new findings about circadian rhythm and light, the LEDs, you can vary the color. That's a human factor as well. It how, is a human how factor. How well understood is that at this point? Would you say it's fairly well understood? It's just emerging? It's just emerging. A decade ago, a, a new receptor was found in the eye that uh, is sensitive to blue light. And what that receptor did was send a signal to the brain, which uh, the final result being that it would stop our production of melatonin, which controls our uh, sleep-wake cycle. The release of melatonin makes us drowsy. It's something that happens naturally in our uh, circadian rhythm the advancement of the, our circadian rhythm. When we didn't have electric lighting and the sun started to go down, our bodies would naturally produce melatonin, making us sleepy. 
would go to sleep. Then as the sun came up and the sky got blue, those short wavelengths would go into our eyes, I believe through our eyelids, and we would stop producing melatonin and wake us up. You're saying it goes right through your eyelids? That is my understanding, that these yeah. short wavelengths of light, they go through your thin skin to eyelid and yeah. uh, stop the production of melatonin. It's part of our... And there's also some cells, I believe, on the face that, that can pick up the light directly. Mm -hmm. So not only... So, not, so there's some very... There's known effects of um, that short wavelength light, bluish light, stops our production of melatonin, keeps us up. But then there's also other effects that have been discovered, which is we need short wavelength light in the morning at a sufficient dose, dosage, in order to entrain our circadian rhythm, to actually tell us that, okay, the day has started, <laughs> we're going to get going with um, shutting down melatonin, but then we're going to start producing melatonin at some interval from now, which varies for each person, whether they're phase advanced or phase delayed. Like some people have short days, some people have long days. Interesting. But that's that's what the entrainment does, is it sets the day. If we had no light, we'd each be going on our own day cycle, which could vary. We'd have some people sleeping earlier than others. You know, you'd go out of sync. So, so the natural course of the day is what's syncing us all together. Now, what, what makes it very wow. hard is that because we're all different in our phase place, advanced or delayed, and because we all have varying amounts of melatonin in our body at any one time, there's no one size fits all for um, when to give light to people or how much you really have to know what the physiological state is of each person to prescribe them the right thing. And we are there. I mean, I think we're going to, we're right there. Yeah. That, you know, this year the watch right came out. We're monitoring our heartbeat, our blood pressure. How far away from we are we of sending an app that knows our melatonin level and what we have to do that day and with our coffee, we get a little dose. <laughs> a dose of blue light. Yeah, we just like, we may, I don't know if we're like, we're going to do it while we're in the bathroom or while we're waiting for the espresso, but somewhere we walk through a little tunnel or something, but we just get a, a little shot of something that keeps us up another hour or just makes us alert or makes us more productive or makes us more sexy, you know, or, or it gets, a, or gets our hunger going. That's awesome. That light impacts uh, activity, appetite, alertness, productivity. That's awesome. Uh, ability to fight disease, a host of things. So that's where we're at the beginning of this. And light is a drug. You know, let's remember that this is not just, uh, we're not playing with. There's a quote for you guys. Yeah, we're not playing drug. with. Um, an innocent material. This is this is something that shaped has shaped our bodies. Our our eyes are totally evolved around the spectrum of the sun. We, we've evolved around the light on the earth. Yeah. And this whole electric lighting experience is a really small little 
um, pencil mark on our existence. It's still, to me, it's still a big experiment about what the impact is of electric lighting on the human body because it's so new. So we are evolving and now we have um, computers and devices that are evolving with us. So I'm still, this is a, we're, we're, we could say it's an exciting time, but it's our place in time right now with it. We're learning, we're still learning and seeing. Uh, I'm not sure really what we're, I am looking forward to seeing technology more embedded, but always dubious about uh, right. things about certain things. So I would, I take things with a grain of salt. On we want as little technology as we can have to have the best experience yeah. as we can have. So well, just to bring it back down to a building, we, uh, mm -hmm. the selection of windows, you're in control. I mean, we can, we can, we can design good buildings and make smart glazing selections and use what we know in the basic design of the building even before we get too complicated with our devices. So that you, uh, that's a great overview. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So I think, uh, we'll wrap it up there and just okay. for me to summarize what you said, you're basically saying we don't design the glazing for the buildings per se. We design the glazing for the occupant experience of the building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it impacts both. So yeah, that the larger quote, uh, I believe this is from Robert Bean, um, amazing man. You should go to his website, healthyheating.com sometime, you guys listening. But he has often said, if you design around the occupants, good buildings will follow. I might have butchered the quote, something like that. But this idea of human factors, and if you design around human factors, you'll end up with good buildings. It's just a great win-win. Well, thank you very much, Matthew. That was really an exciting discussion. Okay. Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Christoph. Big thanks to all the support from Positive Energy in Austin, Texas, and we thank you very much for listening to our podcast. See you next time.